This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome back, everyone, to the 24th episode of the Take the Phone podcast, part of the Blue Wire podcast network. I'm your co-host, Kate Seth, joined as always by Arjun Menon. Had a great time this past week watching offense actually happen again in the early games. Arjun, how'd you feel about the games this past week? Felt pretty well. Uh, felt pretty good. We, I think we had one of our best performances last week. Um, a lot of the things we said about the Week 8 preview show actually occurred. Um, a lot of the things we predicted that if the team actually did this, and this is not the team why it actually happened. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it because we do want to focus on the trade deadline. But I was I was pretty happy with how we kind of approached week eight and how a lot of the things we said came to fruition. And you know, it kind of just shows that you know we we might be young, but I think we have a good amount of knowledge that we hope to share with people and you know, help to make better decisions in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have I have gotten some slack for you know our bets not doing well, but. <laughs> It was cool to, you know, kind of get a reminder that we're starting to get a better feel for where the league is at right now. It's been you know, kind of a, a crazy season so far, uh, and so much uncertainty and unexpectedness has happened. So it's cool to see so many of the things that we said in our game previews happen. But like you mentioned, um, you know, we're going to talk about, you know, really one of the craziest days that I can remember off the field in NFL uh, as, as a fan. And, you know, it was, it was the trade deadline. Um, you know, we're recording on Tuesday evening, so, you know, trade deadline has already passed and, and all the moves have gone through. And so we're going to kick it off with the Roquan Smith trade that happened on Monday. The Baltimore Ravens traded a second and a fifth round pick to the Chicago Bears for Roquan Smith. What were some of your initial thoughts on this trade when that went through? Yeah, I was definitely very surprised that the Ravens did this. Right? We, when we talk about the smartest, the sharpest teams in the NFL, we normally talk about the Ravens, the Eagles, the Browns, right? And, you know, the Ravens have made some questionable decisions um, in terms of roster building, right? They selected Patrick Queen in the first round. They selected a punter in the draft, right? Like, they, they have made some, you know, questionable non-analytic decisions um, in the past. And this kind of goes along with it. Um, I think when you look at it from the Ravens' side, you kind of see that this is a move that's kind of an all-in move, but... Um, it, it does seem like it's going to be a one-year rental, and the way I'm expecting this trade to play out is that you know the Bears are eating some of Roquan's contract, and um, the Ravens will let Roquan play out his deal because next year is a free agent, and so they're gonna I think they're gonna let him walk and recoup a comp pick, possibly a third or fourth round pick, depending on how much Roquan is going to get paid. But it also goes to a question like, should you be trading a second and a fifth round pick? for a rental at a non-premium position. And I think that's where I have some questions on Roquan about. Um, is that is that kind of what you were thinking as well? Yeah, a, a lot of my thoughts were there. And I think, you know, when, when we talk about defense being a weak link unit, Patrick Queen has been the weak link for this Ravens defense this year. I, you know, I think he's one of the worst coverage linebackers <laughs> 
in the NFL by a, a lot of metrics for my eye test. And so when you can trade for a player um, who has played at an all-pro level in the past and you know, excelled at coverage, I think that could be something that kind of puts the Ravens into the next year. And you mentioned all-in, like the NFL betting market ratings right now have the Ravens as the fifth best team in the NFL, the third best in the AFC. So when you can kind of see this, this slight window open, and you can take advantage of a weird season where variance yeah. is higher than ever. I think you do that. And Roquan Smith, when he was in the Vic Vangius team in 2018-2019, was one of the best linebackers at not fighting on play action, according to me and Eric Eager's yeah. um, play action uh, fight distance under expected metrics. He's going to a similar scheme in Baltimore. So I can see the optimism there. But from a positional value perspective, you know, investing that pick in Patrick Green as they did, and then having to chase the loss of that pick being lost, you got to get real close with a lot of investment to put into the linebacker position. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it will be interesting to see how the Ravens handle their linebacker position because they have Queen and Roquan as the healthy guys, but once Josh Klein comes back from injury, does he overtake uh, Patrick Queen's position? I don't know. Um, the, the curious thing about Roquan is I think there's a lot of like different evaluations of him. Um, you know, Bears fans in general think he's a bit overrated, which might just be a a salty Bears fan kind of mad that he wanted to leave. I know Next Gen Stats just put out some stuff that they think he's a good linebacker. Um, a lot of the film analysts like Derek Costin or Ben Pellecker, they think he's a, a good coverage linebacker. Our metrics at PFF, some of the metrics I built over the summer with you know, some of the other interns, uh, don't really see Brooklyn as that good of a coverage linebacker when looking at his, look at his coverage on all plays. And I think it just goes to show like evaluating linebackers is so tough because you know, especially in coverage, they're like for linebackers, I think it's tough to use like ETA per target or, or like like those types of like, passer rating when targeted because like linebackers will only get targeted if they're number one a weak link and you'll have QBs like Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers continuously go after them. Or like number two, they just completely blow a cover. So it, it's tough to really evaluate linebackers. The Ravens, like any team, I think I, I have the most confidence in them doing so. So maybe it shows up very well in their cover stuff. But again, like I think this makes a lot of sense if the Ravens decide to play more time. And so he's the only linebacker on the field instead of someone like Patrick Green. Gives you more flexibility with your coaches with some of the coverages you run. But yeah, it's it's a weird move. I, I am curious to see how it plays out because I think um, you know the Ravens have, have the potential to have a really good relationship at work coming in there. Yeah, no, I, I definitely I definitely agree with, with all that you said there. And I thought it was interesting because I think you know, from kind of like our perspective as fans, or maybe, you know, the immediate perspective, uh, wide receiver, like secondary receiving option, is looked at as kind of the weakest part of the Ravens roster right now. And we thought maybe that Eric Dicosta was going to make a move there, but you know, he chose to make it online backer because he thinks that what they have with Lamar Jackson, with Bob Damien, uh, Mark Andrews kind of connection that they have is like something that, that they can go forward with. So that's why you, you make this um, move on defense on a defense that struggled early in the season. It's down their footing as the season has gone on. And you can add someone like Roquan Smith in there. I think maybe they think you can take it to the next level because your offense is probably going to be you know, good enough to compete with the rest of the teams in the AFC, but the defense is still lagging behind a little bit. So I think you can take it to the next level. But when we look at this from the Bears' perspective, Getting a second and a fifth round pick is pretty big in a, in a rebuild where you just need to stockpile as many picks as possible and just take you know multiple throws at the yeah. airport and go 
those I you kind of look at what has rejuvenated Seahawks uh, rebuild that is one or two years early. It was nailing almost every single pick in the draft class that they just had. And I think that's what the Bears kind of have to hope for next year is if we have you know, eight, nine picks to work with in the, the first four or five rounds, we can really just kind of knock out all these picks that we hit on four of those players, especially early on as rookies. That can give us a really good sense of one where Justin Fields is and two where we are as an organization as a rebuild. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think. I think draft picks, number one, are not only an asset for you know, drafting players, but you can also trade them if, if you really wanted to. Um, you know, rope one. And, like, paying an off-ball linebacker isn't an end-all, be-all. But for for the Bears' defense, I think, you know, you're not going to be good that good anyway. There's no real point in kind of, like, paying $20 million. And you should be spending that $20 million on a receiver, on, a, on an offensive lineman, or a cornerback. Or like a premium position, right? Like, or especially Ed, like especially now that they traded away to Mac and Robert Quinn. So I think from a Bears perspective, draft picks, draft picks are great. Um, we'll talk a little bit about them using one of those draft picks, like I said, on another player. But from from an outside perspective, I really like what Ryan Foles is doing. And he's really not afraid to kind of like blow up the, the roster that they have right now and kind of go into the full rebuild with a promising quarterback that we still don't really know. Let's move on to the second big trade. T.J. Hawkinson, former owner of the Lions. Let's uh, say your take on the trade. So, from the Vikings' perspective, I really like this trade. Uh, T.J. Hawkinson is a really good tight end in, as part of a position group where it's hard to find many good players. And, you know, like you mentioned when we were talking about this trade at the football and work team we just had at the club, there is a steep drop off once you get past tight end eight, tight end nine in the NFL, and all those tight ends kind of become the same player. And TJ Hawkinson is in the top eight, right? So when you look at him from a yards or yards per route run perspective, which is traditional metric, he's ranked 14th this past two seasons, 15th in DFS grade over that time. But when you use tracking data metrics like the ones that ESPN has built out with Brian Burke and Seth Balder, where they use how often a player is open, uh, their yards over catch over spectrum, their catch rate over expected in the ensemble. He ranked sixth in last two seasons and has the best catch score of any tight end in the league. And you know, this is Casey Adelfonza that we're talking about on the Vikings trade for the Vikings, and he is the most analytically inclined GM in the league. So you can see kind of the disconnect where maybe the Lions were looking at more traditional metrics when they were evaluating the trade and kind of seeing that, well, Hawkinson isn't performing at a very high level, but he's a very good tight end. It's just because him and Jared Goff didn't develop big chemistry together for whatever reason. But when he was playing with Matthew Stafford in his last season, and you know, he had Kenny Galladay and Morgan Jones playing at a high level in that season, he still almost put up a thousand yards as yeah. a tight end um, in his second year only in the NFL. So I, I do think he will do really well with the Vikings. When, you know, it's a pretty scary thought. Think about him with Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, KJ Alexander, Dalvin Cook, yeah. all kind of out there. And uh, Kevin O'Connell, who is pretty good. Play caller. From the Lions' perspective, the, the draft already would have been good if they would have just got him the second and third round picks the Vikings were giving them. But because they gave away the two fourth round picks, that's what made me feel uneasy about the trade. I know you have. Numbers about the 
yeah, just like how you said, um, most teams are actually looking at different metrics to evaluate players, like, uh, you know, lines are looking at more traditional metrics, while the Vikings are looking at tracking data. I, I do wonder if the Vikings aligned with the different trade value charts. Um, you know, just as a backstory, like most teams have their own trade, trade charts um, that they build on their own, but a lot of them build their draft value charts based on the Jimmy Johnson chart, which is outdated. Has a very very steep drop off from the first round to the second round. Like the late round picks are not valued as high, and so I think we saw the Lions use the Jimmy Johnson chart. We saw the Vikings use a more updated sharper chart on the Fitzgerald Spielberger chart, which went over the top. Without trying to so if we use the Jimmy Johnson trade chart, we see that the Lions, when factoring in and discounting future 2024 picks, the Lions got the equivalent of the mid to late second round. That, that's pretty good. Pretty awesome. But when you use the Fitzgerald Spielberger chart, the Lions got the equivalent of about the 127th pick, which is an early to mid fourth rounder. Now that's not good. Like TJ Hawkinson is worth more than a fourth rounder. He, he might be worth more than a second rounder as well, right? So you kind of see the difference in outdated versus up to date or expected value of a draft pick trade chart. And again, you know, Quasi is a, is a very sharp guy. I'm sure he has a very good draft value chart that he's built. Probably off of the Gerald Spielberger draft chart. And, you know, it's, it's just another one of those things where, you know, I wish we were flying the wall sitting in these like, you know, team discussions because I would love to hear and see what each young Yeah, no, I, I, I know. I agree. And I heard you explain it earlier, you know, for, for the listeners. Can you kind of go into how you got those values that you're explaining from the Gerald chart and the Gerald Spielberger chart? Yeah, so we'll start off, like, if, if you pull up the Jimmy Johnson and the Gerald Spielberger draft chart, um, typically when a team trades draft picks during the season or in the offseason, what we'll do is we'll use the middle of the round to as a parameter for saying what picks the team is going to get. So the Vikings trading their second rounder, we're going to use the 16th pick in the second round. I, you can use either between the 16 to 20 or 16 to or 12 to 16, based on if they're in the draft or not. I think that that range of outcomes, like the difference isn't that big, and I think the marginal difference is that high. So for the Vikings, we'll use the middle of the pack, the middle of the round, second round pick. For the Lions, we'll use the middle of the fourth round in 2023. Now for 2024, we have to discount the fourth, we have to discount the Vikings third round pick into a fourth round pick, and we'll discount the Lions. Um, uh, we have to discount the Lions' 2024 fourth round pick into a fifth round pick. So essentially, what we kind of see is the, the 2024 uh, third round pick from the Vikings and the 2023 fourth round pick from the Lions cancel out. I know that's a lot of numbers here. So we're essentially left with like the 2023 second round pick minus the 2024 fourth round pick into a fifth round pick. So you subtract those and you kind of get get the you know the difference in the two picks, and you can use whatever trade trade value chart. I hope that made a little bit of sense. You can always DM me on, on Twitter to explain a little bit more. But yeah, Josh Valley charts are definitely a little bit too much to get to. Yeah, no, that, that was perfect. Basically, you know, you're just answering out the two later picks that they gave with the 2024 picks and then kind of evaluating, you know, what the 2023 uh, differences in the picks was when you discount one of them for the years. So that was, that was really cool to hear that. And I wanted to talk about, you know, kind of what this trade means for the Lions. Because for the Vikings, you know, the intention is very clear. Yeah. NFC is weak. 
they're going to win their division. Arsenal, Brentford, probably as a two or maybe even the three seed if things kind of go uh, awry at the end of the season. You can see why you want to add someone like Kenny Hawkins with a similar Smith injury yeah. and how much 11 personnel they like to run. From the Lions' perspective, part of what made them such an acceptable destination next year for a quarterback, whether it's a quarterback that can take in the top five or a quarterback like a Lamar Jackson or another quarterback that is not happy with where they're at and wants to take the three, is we can promise them a top 10 offensive line. We can promise them three good receiving options in Emmanuel St. Brown, TJ Hackett, who have already established themselves, and then Jamison Williams, who's projected to be yeah. a high receiver at the next level. And what would have been really good for Jamison Williams is he can come in and be the third receiver. You don't have to be that guy right away because St. Brown and Hockey Center can handle that for you. Now when, when Jamison Williams comes back, whether it's very end of this year or he redshirts this year and comes back next year, he does have to be that guy right away. And I think that puts a lot of pressure on someone who will basically be a rookie coming off a pretty brutal injury in James Williams. And then you also just lose having a really good forward receiving option, which is something that we know that drives NFL offenses. And a big one takeaway from this year has been how much supporting cast and receiving options has helped a lot of these young quarterbacks develop. We see with Tua, we see with uh, different quarterbacks around the league, Joe Burrow last year. So when you trade away one of the cornerstone pieces that's supposed to help you in the future, and you could have given a extension to that wouldn't have been such a market, but would have been a good tight end extension if you have the money to do that, it's just a little bit worrisome that the Lions decide to go with this direction. I, I completely agree with, with everything you're saying. Um, I, I wasn't completely advocating for the Lions to resign TJ Hawkinson or anything, but yeah, it, it didn't really make a ton of sense from the Lions' perspective, and I wasn't too happy with the, the draft compensation. The only, and it's like the only way I can see this working out, the Lions go out and get some cheap guy in free agency. For reference, I actually think the tight end market is like pretty solid. There's nothing in here. Dalton Schultz, Kiseki, Evan Engram, Austin Hooper, Robert, Robert Tunyon, Aiden Hurst, Herb Smith. Um, yeah, there, there are some pretty solid guys. You know, Schultz shows up uh, eighth in the ESPN tracking data metrics we reference, right? Like, Robert Tunyon protected 15th, Tunyon's eighth, 15th. So there are some guys the Lions could go out of time. But yeah, I think, who's the Lions tight end one now? Not right. Exactly. Uh, household name, as we like to say. So, yeah, they definitely need to go and upgrade that position at some point. But props to the Vikings. You know, you definitely want to see what the Lions are doing here and how they're supposed to be in the offseason. But let's go back to the Bears. Talk about the Chase Claypool trade. So, we've got to talk about how this Bears season can be all about evaluating whether this is going to die or not, right? And I think, I think, like, this trade enables them to start moving in that direction, but they gave up way too much. But like, this isn't like a, like a number fix. Like, they gave up a, a, a top of the market second round pick for Chase Claypool, who is, what, at best a top 30, 35 receiver. He's a wide receiver too at best. They're, they don't really, I don't think you trade a top 40 pick for a great wide receiver too. Like, that just seems like a bad use of resources, especially with how many good receivers come out of the draft year in and year out. That's, that's been a big thing this year is how quickly rookie receivers have hit the ground running for all these teams. You look around, you know, the entire league basically, and 
all these rookie receivers have done really well, and a lot of them have been able to get at the top of the first round. But when you kind of have like a pick that is going to be lower than 40, probably, uh, at the top of the second round, that's why I was doing that they decided to trade their second round pick instead of the Ravens' second round pick, yeah. but not from the uh, real fun first trade. And, you know, when, when you look at the team, they're picking like a trade, you have like a place like Hollywood, who's third on the open market, you know, Packers offer something around the third, and maybe he's not up to a second. But, wait, if you run the out with the Packers, take the yeah. anchor away from the Packers, like you see why it makes sense. And, Claypool just hasn't been utilized, I think, for his strength, you know, when, when you looked at his time and his strength, he's only played with a better option program that had, uh, you know, arm strength, and then he showed that there was a mix of efficiency and, and, um, and ticket. So, when you see Chase Claypool in the only offense, when you go out and you snap his receiver in the first round next year with your top 10 pick, that is starting to have the making of a real NFL receiver play after coming into this year. Basically, got all Mooney and they went out. Then you can start to slot everyone into a spot. The uh, first round pick would be the one for one, three for one, three for two, and Mooney for three. And that makes me feel a lot better than this Bears have one for them going forward. But again, like, there's, there's a lot of conversation to give up a player that hasn't moved at a very high level uh, for the first couple years in the NFL. Yeah, I think, so I think you hit the nail on the head. The one thing I think people are really surprised about was like, oh, the, the Bears traded up. As we see now, and 
MJ Jones, Aaron Browning, and Randy Gregory, like those are like pretty good defensive linemen. And so he's you know, not really facing a ton of like double teams, I don't uh, I wouldn't think. So I think the Dolphins trading for him kind of signals that they thought you know their their uh pass rush was the problem. Um and you know the Dolphins do rank like twenty second in, in pressure rate according to according to PFF. The problem I have, and I think this is where we might disagree a little bit. I just don't understand the Dolphins going all in on Tua Tagovailoa. So, look, Tua gave us two years of a below-average quarterback play, whether you use like efficiency or charting uh, productions of play, right? And we've seen now five games, more like two and a half games of Tua's play, because we had fifty-nine percent of his total game this year have come against the Ravens in the fourth quarter. In the line, right? So, like, I don't know if we've seen enough from Tua to warrant going all in. I think he's made some great improvement as a quarterback. His timing looks great, but he still has problems with the deep ball. You know, people will say he throws the deep ball on time, but he's not throwing it deep enough. Like, Tyreek and Waddle is still having to come back to the ball at times, right? And again, like, overreacting to a good offensive performance versus the Lions is not what we should be doing. Because the Lions literally have the worst defensive NFL history. At this point, so I don't really understand the Dolphins going all in for Tua as a Chargers fan, as a neutral AFC fan. I, I like it, like that's fine. And they definitely have the right tail variance behind them winning the Super Bowl, I think, or not winning, but like making the Super Bowl. At this point, even with Bradley Chubb, they're still five and a half points, six points, six and a half point underdogs in Buffalo, in Kansas City. I don't think they're better than the Ravens either. You know, them between a healthy Bengals field stage. So that's kind of where I stand with the tough deal. I think it improves their defense, but like I don't really agree with them going all in in a year where the Chiefs and the Bills have to My thing about that is I don't think they're necessarily going all in on Tua specifically. I think they're going all in on the Dolphins after game. And Tua has been on the field for the Dolphins this season. He's ranked second in the game to play, and I don't have to So, when you look at it, it's, he was playing at a fine level, right? Like, it's, it's probably a borderline top 10 level. The other yeah. shows are a problem, like you mentioned. But it doesn't matter because Terry Hill and Jalen Waddle are so good that I think when you want to put resources towards anything in a room where you already have some form of your team set, you, you, once you're happy off the set, all the other things that you should like to be you know, complimenting what is going on there. And I think when you have the combination of like the game that they've one of the better play cards in the NFL already in the first year of full time play cards as the head coach in the Dolphins, Tyreek Kill can lead the league in like the out run right now. And you know, it has such a big gap between him and AJ Brown and there's like Tom Diggs in second place. So you can go all the way down to 11th place. That's how big the gap is between second and 11th. And then uh, Stephon Diggs and Tyreek Hill. Then you also have Jalen Waddle, who is fourth in yards for that run on the season. These are two top 10 receivers that we have uh, right now, and then the offense is perfectly curated to kind of align to all of those things. Yeah. Similar strengths uh, with his, his accuracy and his pocket movement, and then also Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle's strengths. And we still have Dick Pitty there. You know, they were running the ball on Sunday. Uh, to us, he said, not much against Ryan. That's why you go all in, is because you have a top five passing offense that can act as a good base of the Oregon Chiefs. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm taking that play. Um, that maybe he isn't that great. And so, but, you know, he has the potential to improve. I'm not saying he's going to make a Josh Allen leap, but Calvin Ridley definitely opens up a lot of things that he doesn't have right now. And on the flip side, I think, you know, we, we kind of talked about how the Falcons are like a really attractive destination spot for all this and that. Now it's like, okay, so now what are the Falcons doing? Right? Like, you've had this all star basketball spot in the Falcons with Drake London, Kyle Pitts, and Kevin Ridley. Now you trade away, I would say, the wide receiver one of that group. And I, I think, I mean, the Falcons are way ahead of schedule. Like, they're going to one half the world from the NFL, but after they went to the division. So where do you go from, like, where do you think the Falcons should go from here in terms of building up the yeah, no, that's, that's really true. I think it has to start with quarterback play. It's very clear that Arthur Smith, who has been doing you know, a great job so far this year, especially in the run game, I think, you know, other than Kyle Shanahan, Arthur Smith might be up there with some of the best run games in, in the NFL right now. And when you have someone like that who's shown at the end of last year, he can do really good stuff in the passing game, you know, you got Kyle involved, then you go all the way back
Mistakes made by the Cardinals, the special teams gaffe, which kind of ended their ended the game there. And again, Justin Jefferson always being down the time they um third third down was able to beat San Francisco. Iron Murphy versus Justin Jefferson was the kind of X-Factor and I think Jefferson was all Yeah, yeah, and I like to mention that so I'm just gonna grab it up on there. Iron Murphy and yeah, I appreciate I appreciate the final I felt good to be and have a really good week on the team and I think I'm like giving giving quite credit Now, like I just don't. It's going to be so tough to get off the field going because they don't have. 
have that kind of like fallback option for a while. I, I, I grew up, you know, playing in Canada or in football on PlayStation. And when I go and play on Xbox, you know, from Xbox, I'll click the wrong button all the time and not let me down. That's what Zach Wilson looks like on his interception. And let's see, he's clicking the wrong button. And he meant to, you know, he says he meant to throw it away, but he you know, clicked the throw to receiver and it, it ends up right in their hands. And, you know, I think, you know, it's just, it's just crazy that, uh, you know, Joe Belichick is so dominant against him, you know, only two touchdowns, seven interceptions, uh, Zach Wilson against Joe Belichick. And, but when you look on the flip side, like, Jones isn't doing much better. Yeah. And like they're gonna have to, you know, figure something out from that perspective. These are just really hard, you know, it turns out having uh a defensive coordinator and a assistant coach is eventually just the development quarterback, maybe not the best thing to happen, but you know, a lot of it is on the next zone. It's usually one of the worst things that you have ever seen oh, yeah. bailed out by a customer rushing the basketball. And if that doesn't happen, I think it is happy hour for the Patriots going forward, but next one takes one more week. Yeah. Uh, do we want to talk about Niners Rams? <laughs> uh, we can we can talk a little bit. I just want to like talk about how in 2018, you know, the two best running games in the in the league were Sean McVay and Pat Shanahan, and we can see what Pat Shanahan has done to constantly involve involve his running game throughout the years. You know, he involved Reese Jackson and used him like crazy. He used George Kittle as a football. And you use Debo Samuel as your right back position. Sean McVay hasn't done any of that. He's tried to keep going out the same rushing game over and over. And the running backs get worse by looking like every year. And that's why the Rams have the worst rushing offense in the NFL right now. And that's why there's no support for the Rams when they have to, you know, drop back and the expected pass situation stuff works out again, right? So the Rams have 15 passes in the expected pass situation with the probability of one total yards and negative 0.25 DK to pass. In the 23 pass game, they didn't really work in the second pass situation. 127 yards and plus 0.4 DK to pass. When you constantly run the ball for negative yards and zero yards and first and second down, you're putting yourself in more second pass situations. Uh, and then it's leading to these really bad plays for the game. So I think they really need to figure out one forward. This season's already pretty much open to them, but one forward, they really need like that. I think, yeah, I know a lot of people are kind of like, oh, playing with the injuries, but like, Sean McVay hasn't been like this year. And I think you really need to look in the mirror and identify what McVay is doing and why he's so hung up on these first and second rush runs when they constantly don't work. And this is not a history problem with Space Rock last and every first and second run, but being snapped only gets two tries and getting a first time uh, rather than three. Um, the last game that I thought we handicapped almost to perfection, the Bengals and Browns. Kind of talked about how uh, Burrow without Chase isn't, you know, he could see a significant drop off, and how uh, Burrow losing Chase is more important than Burrow losing Stephen Higgins, and that became absolutely depressing. Burrow averaged negative 0.14 EP per play, well below his season average against the Browns team, between JOK and Denzel Ward. Like, probably their two most important players after Miles Garrett, right? So, you can say that Bengals are banged up, but the Browns are also Chase and Higgins can both generate explosive plays. Higgins can only really do so 
wasn't able to take like one of the Again, I think we should be downgrading the Bengals with the pitches to the track. Um, it will be a loose year. It's going to be a very underrated loss for them. He's playing at a very good level um, last year and this year. And that invites a weak point like Trey Flowers and Jacksonville uh, into a secondary. Yeah, you nailed the, the whole Bengals perspective on it. We had to make a really great elementary uh, <laughs> recording last year. From the Browns perspective, like, I think this kind of goes back to. They're one of the teams throughout the season that they were unable to record indicated. They have the best rushing offense in the NFL. The year we're rushing offense is a lot more than usual. And, you know, even having goals uh, adjusted scores, we've seen that the, the Browns have gone, uh, you know, five and two up, up until this game in, in that, but they were sitting at two and five and just losing because of unlucky things that happened in the fourth quarter. And, you know, I think when they get the kind of option that can't